The shaft that emerged from the chest cavity was probably five inches long, ending in a sharp point. It looked like a crude homemade dagger. He turned it in his hand, and four engraved letters shone under the light of Dan's flash. Uh, "'Shine your flash over here,' Walsh said, pointing to the handle of the dagger. "'Someone's initials?' Dan said. "'I don't think so,' Walsh replied. Uh, "'Not unless the killer's name is Irving Nelson Richard Ivanovich.' Dan looked puzzled. "'What's it say?' Walsh took a closer look and announced, "'I-N-R-I. It's a crucifix.' "'You sure?' Dan said. "'Unmistakable,' Walsh said. "'Looks like someone took a crucifix "'and sharpened one end to fashion a dagger out of it.' "'What's the I-N-R-I mean?' Burns asked. "'Walsh turned to the young officer. "'It stands for Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. "'It was one of those summer nights.' when you could count the fireflies and smell the lilacs. On nights like this, young couples migrate to the park, looking for a place to be alone and get to know each other intimately. It was the kind of night that inspired countless love songs. It was also a night marred with murder. There were already several dozen people straining to see past the police barrier, at the tarp-covered body lying on the grass. Sergeant Hollister stood over the body, looking down at Jack Walsh, the L.A. medical examiner. Walsh had part of the tarp pulled back to show Sergeant Dan Hollister the gunshot wound to the victim's heart. It took me less than fifteen minutes to drive to Western and Sunset. I parked on Western and started walking the same steps that Sharon and Scott had taken last Friday. I could still see the scuff marks where the car's muffler dragged on the sidewalk, and some black tire marks where the car had swerved back onto the street. There was a small blood stain up against the building where Scott had pushed Sharon out of the way. There was a bigger stain at the spot where the car connected with Scott's body. That spot was right in front of a bar called Jake's, and the sign in the window said they were open at 6 a.m. and that they closed at 2 a.m. I guess that Jake could survive on four hours of sleep. She was treading water, waiting for the boat to swing back around, when she suddenly screamed and back-paddled away from the spot where she'd fallen. I looked out onto the water and saw a body floating face down. That must be what the skier had hit, causing her to tumble. She paddled back toward the shore, gasping and yelling something unintelligible. I jumped all the way in and swam as fast as I could toward the floating person. I got to the body and quickly turned it over and looked at the face. It was a young man in green swimming trunks, perhaps twenty, his face a pale blue. I opened the door to the north bedroom and was overtaken by the unmistakable odor of decaying flesh. There on the floor lay an elderly couple, both bloated almost to the bursting point. I quickly closed the door again and turned to Oliver. "'Come on,' I said. "'Let's get out of here and call in the police.'
Are they in there? Oliver said. I nodded. What's left of them is in there. I turned around in time to see a tall man, maybe six feet four, walking in, holding a large revolver in his right hand. He walked up behind the first officer and leveled the gun at the back of his head and fired. The front of the officer's head exploded onto the hamburgers cooking on the grill in front of him. The other officer tried to stand and draw his service revolver and took a bullet to the shoulder. He fell to the floor and the large man stood over him, aiming the gun at the officer's head.